0: Well, thank you so much, young people, for leading us this morning. We we just so much look forward to these Sundays when you are up front and using your talents and praising God. Jesus said, out of the mouth of young people, God has ordained praise, and you have certainly blessed us with that today. And to uh, Holly and Elisa, and to Ailey, just uh, my special congratulations. You all are very special young ladies. and. We just are so grateful for your presence in our church and looking forward to what God is going to be doing in your lives in the future. And please know that we are always here for you uh, if there's ever a need that you have. Well, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 10, and I'd like you to follow along as I read, starting in verse 17 down to verse 22 in the Share Bible in front of you, it's page 1006, if you want to take that Bible and turn there. Please follow along as I read from God's Word. Mark 10, starting in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, Do not steal, do not bear false witness, Do not defraud, Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This story has always bothered me, because it has often seemed to me that Jesus badly mishandled this young man. Have you ever felt that way? Um, He criticizes his opening question. He doesn't present the simple gospel to him. He seems to add works to salvation. And then he makes an almost impossible demand to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then he lets him leave without any attempt to win him back. Other than that, I think Jesus handled it pretty well, don't you? (laughs) And all of this is in contrast to what appears to be a very likable guy. He's clearly a young man with good manners. He's wealthy, but he appears to be quite generous. He has high moral standards, and he's very interested in spiritual things. Why does Jesus seem to discourage him? I think you know the answer. Jesus is a better student of human nature than we are, isn't he? And we see only the surface, but Jesus sees the heart. And this man's likable surface um, concealed some very serious problems underneath. A number of years ago, a friend of mine bought a home with a very nice basement. He thought it was a nice basement. And then one day, behind a very carefully placed panel, he discovered a huge crack in the basement wall. And he had to spend a lot of money securing and repairing that basement. And a very nice surface can hide a flawed interior. And that's what we see with this young man. He had a serious number of spiritual problems that kept him from eternal life. Today, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark, we are coming to this episode about the rich young ruler. And what an opportunity for us on Youth Sunday that we would talk about a young man. And what I want to do is this. I want us to see his actions and then the heart problems that Jesus saw. And then after we have seen those, Jesus is going to make some very important applications for our lives. Let's take a moment, shall we? And let's just pray together. Lord, this is the only place in the Gospel of Mark where the phrase eternal life appears. And it appears twice. And nothing could be more important than how it is that we receive eternal life. And we thank you for the perceptiveness of the Lord Jesus, and we know that this story is not about a young man simply who lived many years ago, but it is about all of us and what it really involves to receive the gift of eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord. Lead us to understand that today. I pray for anyone here who does not have eternal life, that their hearts might be touched And they may want what Jesus alone can give. For his sake we pray. Amen. I want you to notice that as we look at this story, first of all, this young man asked the wrong question. And he had a wrong view of salvation. You will notice the question he asked Jesus was, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now that little word do is very, very critical here. It is a word that means this, actions one undertakes that cause, bring about or accomplish something. Let me say that again. Actions one undertakes that cause, bring about or accomplish something. You see, this young man thought he could earn eternal life by his good deeds. You know what mentality he had? He had a good guys, bad guys mentality, and he thought, I am one of the good guys, and what he was hoping is that Jesus would prescribe some generous deed that he could do that show I'm a good guy. There are a lot of of people today with that same problem, aren't there? I remember many years ago, there was a lady that was in my church, and she was facing very serious surgery, and she was afraid to die. So I went to the hospital to pray with her, and I will never forget these words that she said to me. She said, Pastor, I think I'll go to heaven. I've been a pretty good person. I had never heard it that directly before. What can I do to inherit eternal life? That was her understanding. Now, very fortunately, she survived surgery. She lived a few years more, and she came to a true assurance of eternal life. The next time I was called to the hospital after she had really received eternal life and she did die, you know what she said to me? I can't wait to see Jesus. What a difference. Notice the second action. This young man used the wrong word and he had a wrong view of God. He called Jesus good teacher and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Now Jesus was not denying his own goodness here. In fact, this is a veiled claim to his deity. He was saying to the young man, don't you call me good unless you think that I have come from God and I am God. But what Jesus was doing was he was taking the man's attention off of himself and putting it on to God. You see, people that think they can earn their own salvation, they have a low view of God. And what they need to do is see themselves next to God's perfect character. Do you know in Jesus' day it was virtually unheard of to call a person good? Now, we do that all the time, don't we? Uh, We say, well, he's a good person, Uh, they're good neighbors. Um, We would say, uh, you know, he's a good guy or she's a good kid. We do that all the time. But in the Old Testament, good was customarily used only for God. And this word good that is used here three times in the space of a couple of verses is a word that means inner worth, especially moral worth, and it is referring to the moral perfection of God's character. You know what happens? When we see ourselves next to God, we see how far short we really fall. Uh, Let's suppose that we're going to have a jumping contest here this morning, okay? And I'm going to invite our three graduates to come and join me on the platform. Uh, Well, actually, let's just describe this, okay? (laughs) And uh, so all four of us are going to have a jumping contest, and we're going to see who can jump the highest, all right? You ready? Oh, I haven't told you the goal. You know what the goal is? You see that fan up there? That's the goal. Ah, ah. If anyone can do it, I've just been told Holly could do it. All right? Now, obviously, I don't really care who of us could jump the highest. I'm sure it's not going to be me. But how many will reach the goal? None of us. And human goodness is like that. You see, when we compare ourselves to others, we feel closer to God. But when we compare ourselves to God, we miss the goal by a long shot. And you know what Jesus wanted to do? He wanted this young man, and he wants you and me to see the reason we cannot earn eternal life is because we cannot be good enough. Probably one of the greatest statements of this in our Christian music is the second verse of Rock of Ages. Would you read it with me this morning? Let's read it together. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands, could my zeal no respite? know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. And all God's people said, yes. Now notice thirdly. He gave the wrong answer. He had a wrong view of the law. Did you notice that Jesus quotes five of the Ten Commandments? Verse 19, he said to the young man, You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud a form of not stealing, and honor your father and your mother. Now, you know, it's true about all these five commandments. All of them have to do with human relationships, and they are more easily verifiable because we can see the outward action. Did you notice, by the way, the young man's response? He said, all these, verse 20, I have kept from my youth. You know what he's referring to? His bar mitzvah. All of us know that every Jewish boy at 13 years of age has a bar mitzvah service, and it's a very special time. Bar mitzvah means son of the commandment, and at 13, every Jewish boy promises to keep the law. And from the outward viewpoint, this young man, he had kept all those commandments. But what totally escaped him? Jesus taught that obedience includes our inner attitudes as well as our outward actions. So if I have lust in my heart, I'm guilty of adultery. If I obey my parents, but it's grudgingly, I have dishonored them. And if we hate our enemies, the Bible says that's guilty of murder. And what this young man had was a wrong view of the law. Do you know why God gave his law? Not so that we could see how good we are. James 1.25 says that God's law is like a mirror. If I asked you how many of you looked in the mirror this morning, probably all of us would say I did. Let me ask you, uh, how many of you did that mirror help you wash the dirt off your face this morning? Mirrors don't do that. Mirrors show us the dirt, but they can't wash it away. And the law shows the sin in our life, but it cannot wash it away. Only God can do that. By the way, did you notice something here? Which commandment... Regarding relationships, did Jesus not include? Did you notice? The Tenth Commandment. In fact, read with me the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's. Did you know that the Ten Commandments are in two tables? The first table has the first four dealing with God. The second table has the next six dealing with people. And Jesus quoted the first five, but not the last one. Do you know why Jesus did that? he was putting his finger on this young man's problem. If you were to look up the word covetous in the dictionary, here's what you would find, marked by inordinate desire for wealth or possessions. Basically, this young man's money was his God. He was breaking not only the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, but also the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. This young man trusted money, he worshipped money, he got his fulfillment from it, and his morality and his good manners only concealed a covetous heart. Do you know, I know a pastor who said in all of his years of ministry, people had confessed to him every imaginable sin except one. No one had ever confessed the sin of covetousness. Why? Because it is so hard to detect. It is so hard to detect. But Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it. Do you know, when I was a boy, I would go to the dentist... And uh, like pretty much everybody who goes to the dentist, before I would go, I would brush my teeth to make sure they were really clean. How many of you do that? So I would arrive at the dentist, and I would think, I've got really clean teeth. And the dentist would give me this little red pill. And he would ask me to chew it. And when I opened my mouth... My teeth were covered with pink dye. All the places that I had plaque on my teeth were covered with pink dye. I remember being shocked at how much plaque I had on my teeth. Do you know where I'm going with this? That's what sin is like. We think our lives are pretty clean, but God's law is like that pink pill. And just as the dentist could see all the plaque on my teeth, so Jesus can see all the sin in our life. And that's what the law of God does. Notice the next action of this young man. He made the wrong choice. He had a wrong view of repentance. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now let's be very clear here this morning. This is not required of everyone for salvation. Jesus dealt with this young man individually, And what Jesus knew was this, his wealth was preventing him from receiving eternal life. And what Jesus is teaching him and us is about repentance. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance simply means turning from whatever stands between us and Jesus. When we come to Jesus, he demands repentance, And we must turn away from whatever is standing between us and him if we are to receive eternal life. One pastor put it this way. He asked some very penetrating questions. Let me ask those questions this morning. What is keeping you from Jesus? What is the problem in your life? Jesus knows what it is what it boils down to is this, you can't have your sins and heaven too. If I asked you this morning what's the best-selling Christian book next to the Bible, you all would know. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan one time said this, will you have your sins and go to hell, or will you leave your sins and go to heaven. And whatever gods are in the way, whether they be gods of possessions, or position, or power, it could be a god of a person in our life, or some sinful pleasure in our life, we must turn from those gods, and turn to Jesus, if we are to receive eternal life. I think all of us know this morning, very, very difficult to receive the gift of eternal life when your hands are clutching sinful things. It's very, very difficult when my hands are clutching sinful things to turn from those things and open my hands so that I can receive eternal life. And this young man had a wrong view of repentance. Now Jesus is such a wonderful teacher that he takes this opportunity to make some very, very important applications. Applications for his disciples and applications for you and me. And so we don't want to miss what Jesus is teaching us here today. Let's turn from this young man and what Jesus wanted to teach him to us and what Jesus is teaching us today. All right? Here are the applications. Number one, riches can rob you of heaven. Look at verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier, would you quote these words with me? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Haven't we all heard that statement? Do you know what that is? That is a proverbial statement that refers to something that is absurd or impossible. In fact, you know, the Arabs still use this saying today to refer to the absurd or the impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than something that we would consider impossible. Um, Look at this needle for a moment. Do you know in Jesus' day... This was the smallest opening that people knew of, the eye of a needle. You know, in the ancient Near East, a camel is the largest animal that there is in the ancient Near East at that time. So here's what Jesus is saying. It's easier to thread a little needle with a great big camel than it is to get into God's kingdom when we are bursting with riches. And we have to ask this question, why is wealth and material possessions so dangerous? Well, it's not because they're evil in and of themselves, because they are not. Many people in the Bible were wealthy people, but here's the danger. Material possessions can blind you so that you do not have a desire For the spiritual. Think about this. If we grow up with good manners, education, we get a good job, we have a nice spouse, a nice family, a house, a car, you know what we can begin to think? I've arrived. I've achieved the American dream. This is what life is all about. But Jesus would say to us this. This is not what life is all about. Life is about God. Life is about Jesus. Life is about salvation. Life is about heaven. It is about hell. And success can keep us from the Savior. It can blind us to our real need. Here's the second application. Only God can save your soul. Look at verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You know what Jesus is teaching us? There are two ways people try to enter heaven. Man's way and God's way. Man's way is to earn your way into heaven by your good works, your religious ritual, or some great deeds. You know what the word that Jesus says you put over that? Impossible. Impossible. But then there's God's way. God's way to enter into heaven is through the death and resurrection of his son, who offers salvation as a gift to those who will open their hands, turn from sin, and receive that gift freely from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus says is the word you put over that? Possible. Possible. Only God can save your soul. Third application. The rewards are worth the cost. Did you notice there is a cost? Jesus was very plain about that. There is a cost. Look at verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake and the gospel. Later on in verse 30 he says, there will be persecutions. There is a cost. I talked to a young man yesterday on the phone. We talked for an hour. He said, when I began to take a stand for Christ, I had friends who no longer wanted anything to do with me. He lost his old friends. Some of us here today know what it's like to have family members who become critical of you because you are a Christ follower. Other family members misunderstand you. And you may have to give up some things when you come to Jesus that no longer are in God's will for your life. There is a cost. But there are great rewards. Great rewards. Look at what Jesus said about the rewards. You will receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands... And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last, first. Did you see the rewards? You get a new family in the family of God. Do you know there are people here in this church who are closer to me and have come to actually mean more to me than some of my own relatives? And many of us could say the very same thing. And the reason is, is when you come to Jesus, you get a new family, and it's a family like nobody else can give. It's an amazing award. Jesus says another reward is is heaven. He says in the age to come, you'll have the completion of eternal life. And then he says there's going to be rewards when we get to heaven because many who are first right now and seem to be on top of the heap, they're going to be last. And those who are last right now, someday they're going to be first. What an incredible thing. You can feel like I'm on the bottom right now. But Jesus says in heaven, you're going to discover you are on the top when He rewards you. You see, the rewards are always worth the cost. When I grew up, As a boy, I heard about five missionaries who attempted to reach an unreached tribe in South America called the Aucca Indians. And in their efforts to reach them, they flew in in a plane and they began to be friendly with these uh, natives. What, What they didn't know was that their lives were gravely in danger. And one day, while they were down on the beach trying to be friends to these natives, all five of these young men, many of them married, were murdered as the natives turned on them and killed them with spears and machetes. One of those young men was, was Jim Elliot. And he was a wonderfully committed Christian. His journals can still be read today. And before that day, <clears throat> as he was murdered in South America on the beach trying to reach those who had never heard about Jesus, whom he loved, he made one of the greatest statements that has ever been made That still down to this day, 60 some years later, still inspires us. Let me share that statement with you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what Jesus is saying. When we will repent of our sins and come to him who has died and risen that we might have life, whatever the cost we may pay, that's a temporary cost. But the gain we will receive is an eternal gain and the rewards are always worth the cost would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together just before we close this morning I wonder if you have repented and received the gift of eternal life. I wonder if you are willing to leave everything as Peter said he was and to follow Christ. He's calling you to himself today and you can receive the eternal life that he died and rose again to give you. Let me give you that opportunity right now. You can say something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I could not be good enough to achieve your standard. But I believe that you came and you died for my sins and you rose again that I might have life. Today I am repenting. I'm turning from my own way and whatever you would call me from, and I'm turning to you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. And make me a child of God. And then would you say, Lord Jesus, from this day forward, God helping me, I will follow you with all of my heart. You may say, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Lord, take the truth of your word. And by the power of your Spirit, who is present among your people, draw men, women, boys and girls unto yourself, that we may know life indeed, and may follow the only one who is worthy of our heart's devotion, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. So blessed to have our young people come back and lead us in our final song, and they're going to do that now. If there's any way that we can help you with anything you've heard today, it would be our desire to do that. And so let's stand together and sing as we get to the close of this song. We will be dismissed. And you are welcome if you want to come to the front and greet these young people, or you can wait till they get out uh, to the lobby, whatever. It is, uh, but let's stand together, shall we? And let's close with this wonderful song.